This is the best, 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 best practices in education and Odyssey School podcast. Let's fly away in a cloud. We'll go down to Odyssey. We'll learn some cool new things and new opportunities. Because Odyssey is made of magic, made of magic. This podcast aims to offer professional resources, practical tools, and inspiring conversations to teachers and parents in their quest for excellent education. And the trees are rainbow, and you'll see unicorn every now and then because that's not weird at all. Welcome to Best Practices in Education, an Odyssey School podcast. My name is Corey Adams, and I'll be your host. Today, we are joined by preschool director Courtney Fincher. Courtney holds a BA in psychology from the University of West Virginia and has extended her coursework into the field of early education. She carries her love of service, psychology, and healing arts into her relationships with children. In the broader Asheville community, Courtney serves on the AB Tech Advisory Committee for their early education program, is a next emerging leader participant, and a graduate of the Early Child Care Directors Institute. In 2015, Courtney was awarded the National Recognition for Child Care Excellence. She facilitates parent groups in Circle of Security and currently is in her third year of somatic experiencing training. Courtney, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. So today we're going to talk about one of your favorite topics, interpersonal neurobiology. So as we're getting started, I wondered if you could give us a brief definition. I don't even know if brief is possible in this case, but (laughs) a definition of what that term covers and also what makes you so excited about it. Oh, yeah. I don't know if I can be brief, but I will say that it's an exciting field because it's bringing in all of these different sciences such as psychology, sociology, mathematics, physics, biology, chemistry, anthropology, linguistics. I, I probably forgetting a whole host of them, but it basically is pulling all of these different sciences together and asking questions like, what is health? What is the mind? What is a healthy mind? And it's answering a lot of questions that I've had Mm. as a psychology major and someone who is really interested in human development. And then someone who's been studying human development through the lens of early education This modality is talking about how our brains are formed through relationship, our brains, our nervous systems, and how actually we get information through neuroception through other people's nervous systems. And it's really applicable to education. Yeah, I can see how that immediately informs the work that we do with the youngest members Mm -hmm. of our learning community. Um, But there are a few different pieces of it, right? And I know... One of your favorite researchers is Dan Siegel's work, and you were able to meet him this past spring. Can you talk a little bit about his work? Sure. He is one of my favorite people in the field of both education, psychology, interpersonal neurobiology. I first came into contact with his work by reading his book, No Drama Discipline, and this was related to my search to understand what we do here at Odyssey, which is positive discipline. And I understood positive discipline, but when talking to parents, it always seemed really behavioral rather than relational. Mm. And after reading his book, I was able to understand and name some of the behaviors and skills that we're actually using and brought that into our classroom as a book study. He has many, many books, and I've continued to read, I think, most of them. 
And what's really been a linchpin for me in my understanding of child development has been his work on attachment theory. So that is really the idea that our early relationships lay down the foundation of how our nervous system develops and even the neural pathways of our brain and how important those relationships are. So with secure attachment, we have more resilience, we have more agency, we believe that in our agency, we trust the world more, we're more flexible. And so that's you know the gold standard. But if your attachment figures, which are parents, but also our early educators, the people in our lives that are providing the most care, if they're scary in any way, then that triggers our nervous system. So it's been really important to unpack that and name that. Yeah, I'm imagining you do some work with your teachers around that as you're discussing their presentation in the classroom and their relationships with their own students and what that means. We have, and it's been a really exciting year. This year in particular, we've done a few book studies, and we just finished The Whole Brain Child, and everyone really loved it and got on board. Dan Siegel is really good about taking these big neuroscience topics and bringing it really down into language that we can all understand. Not only that, he gives us really great practical strategies. So... You know, one of the main themes is really about this attachment work, but how do you do that? And it's through being seen, soothed, creating a safe container, and doing the repair work if there's a rupture in any of that. That really applies to discipline, but also just in the general interactions that we have with our kids. Yeah, could you maybe describe a few moments that would be appropriate to a preschool classroom where we can note that those things are happening? So what does it look like in the preschool classroom when caregivers are seeing the children, for example? So it's really common in a preschool classroom for children to argue over something. Maybe a kid knocks down someone's tower or throws a block or hits someone, you know, and that's, of course, not appropriate. And we have to teach them that that's not appropriate It's really easy to solve the problem by saying, well, don't hit, don't don't knock down the tower. But a more attuned approach would be to sit down and use a lot of the right brain messaging, eye Mm -hmm. contact, gesture, tone of voice, being really in close contact with another, with the child's nervous system. And so that they can have a chance to be heard. What were they thinking? What were they wanting? Mm-hmm. And usually there's a story underneath that that has so many more opportunities for having their needs met rather than just teaching them not to do one particular behavior, but how to meet those needs. And it also builds empathy from the other child when they understand what the thought process was, that it wasn't that they wanted to hurt them. They were really thinking it would be fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to pick up out one word of that, right? You said attuned. Mm -hmm. And I know that concept is part of this interpersonal neurobiology. So what does what what does the word attunement mean in this system of thinking? Oh, attunement really means presence and the ability to be present with another person and have them really feel that you have their best needs at heart, that you're really able to make the space to be with their entire being. So is there a physiological basis for attunement? Hmm, That's a good question. I can say that attunement and presence is directly related, related to secure attachment, and that is very physiological in our nervous system. So our nervous system is geared towards protection and 
finding out if there's some danger in our field, Mm -hmm. how to protect ourselves. And that happens both in the exterior environment, but also in relation to other people. So if we are if we have attuned caregivers, then that's a safe environment and our nervous system regulates. If we have misattunement, then there can be something that indicates that we're not safe. Either, you know, we can't be big and rambunctious in our full selves, mm-hmm. or it's better not to have those emotions. Whatever the case scenario looks like for that child, but it does change the physiology of the nervous system if it's ongoing and they adapt and cope towards an insecure attachment system. So you talk about integration, right? And it sounds like also where there's secure attachment, integration can happen. Um, And I'm wondering, can you talk a little bit more about that concept about integration and differentiated parts and how we engage with that, and especially in the preschool classroom. Yes, absolutely. So that's one of the interpersonal neurobiology findings is that a healthy mind is an integrated mind, and integration is defined as the linkage of differentiated parts. So that looks like the left and right hemispheres being integrated. The right hemisphere is all of those nonverbal cues that I was just talking about, Mm -hmm. where you can feel comfort and safe in another because they are making eye contact, posture, gesture, tone of voice. And our nervous system picks that up. But also, you know, making sense of our stories, that's a big part of um, working through scary things or understanding things Mm -hmm. is having our narrative make sense, so linking those differentiated parts. It's also when children get really reactive or people in general, it can be from their limbic system and our cortex goes offline. But to link those to the limbic system and the cortical system. And we do a lot of that in our mindfulness practices and our regulation practices with children. We do a lot of the left and right brain integration through tell me what you were thinking and let's draw that story. Let's mm-hmm. tell that story. Let's act that out. And and in circle, because that's your centering space, Mm -hmm. what might be an exercise that you're doing with the kids to help promote that state of being? Well, we do yoga every day. And a lot Mm. of times the yoga is through storytelling where they are different characters in the story that have different poses associated with them. We do breathing exercises. We do ohms. We do um, visualizations where they're in their bodies, but feeling like they are different characters or qualities or taking different breaths. We do animal breaths. Fun. (laughs) The horse breath is the favorite. Yeah. You use a series of questions in your presentation with faculty to help our teachers think about these concepts. I'm wondering if you could walk us through those questions now and what you were doing with them. Sure. The first question that we asked is, what were you like as a teenager? And we had the staff journal about that for about five minutes. And then, what did you need when you were a teenager? They then stopped and journaled about that for a little bit. And And I I remember hearing them. It was interesting to see the room transported back to thinking about that time of their lives and what that brought up. Mm -hmm. That was the point, and I was glad it happened. Yeah. And the last thing is, what do you love about yourself? And the idea behind this exercise was to really think about 
a time when generally there's angst in our teenagehood and that there were a lot of unmet needs Mm. and there were times when those needs were met and how that really applies to children in general with a different integration strategy you know Mm. how was how did that land within yourself how can you think about others in that way and really those needs are core needs and you know we oftentimes demonize teenagers as like well nothing works and they're just rebelling and they don't want to be connected but oftentimes actually that's what people needed at that time in their lives and why the question what do you love about yourself Well, I think it's really important to ask that so that we're mining inside of ourselves and doing that reflective work internally and claiming it. And and then, you know, is that seen? Is that understood by others as well? There's a lot in all of this about being inside yourself with another person, which is just so interesting. Can you talk a little about that? Sure, I'd love to. That's what's so fascinating to me as well. And, you know, that's what's unique about Odyssey is that we are an integral school and really work in this way. I think one of the biggest things that has helped me to understand this is learning that our nervous system is developed through co-regulation. And we're often talking about regulation and mindfulness practices as self-regulation skills. Mm. And while we can get there at some point, we are still mammals and co-regulation is the faster way. And children really need that. So, wait, just for a second. I have a, when you said we can get there. Do you mean we can get to integration? For example, is that what the there stands for? By there, I meant self-regulation. Ah, but of course, yes, we can get to integration as well. Okay. So, you know, we talk about mindfulness a lot in education as one of these ways of becoming attuned to our inner world. Mm-hmm. And that can look like these breaths that I was talking about at the circle. It can look like squishy toys. It can look like feeling your feet. But it can also look like humming together. It can also look like sitting with another child hip to hip. It can look like breathing with another person. There's the ability to learn these skills with another person is the co-regulation piece. And then they're more likely to be able to do it on their own. And so that means actually in some way with touch or breath or movement, physiologically regulating with other human beings around us. Is that what I'm getting? You got it exactly. Awesome. Uh, There was one more piece I think we haven't talked about yet that I wanted to touch on, and that was something that you called mind platter. And that was really um, a reflection exercise for the teachers Can you introduce us to the concept of mind platter? Sure. That's another Dan Siegel thing. And he did some research on what we need to have a healthy mind. And so he broke it into seven different categories. There's focus time. And that's when you have a task where you have a goal oriented in mind. And that really challenges our brain to make deep new connections. Then there's play time which allows us to be spontaneous and creative and take on novel experiences. And our brain really thrives in novel experiences and play. We actually learn a whole lot faster that way. And that carves new connections. Mm. Connecting time, connecting with people and the natural world, that is um, a reinforcement of our relationship circuitry. And then there's physical time, moving our bodies. Mm 
Time in is the ability to reflect internally, focusing on sensations and feelings. And this again helps integrate the brain. There's also downtime, so that's non-focused, no goal. And so the mind can wander. That helps the brain recharge. And then of course there's sleep. And that gives the brain the rest it needs to kind of recover from the experiences of the day. Is there a certain percentage for each of those? Or is is it just an opportunity for us to think about, hey, do we have each of these present in our lives? Like as I'm listening to you, I'm going down the list thinking, oh, how do I do that? Or do I do that one? Honestly, I don't recall if he had a percentage recommendation. I think that would be really hard to have a fluid and flexible life with an exact number (laughs) that you were supposed to meet in each one. But I think holding that idea that there are seasons and times that we should be filling our cup with all of these. I've definitely thought about this in my own life and it's helped me to validate some of the other needs and make space for them. And it's a really good exercise to think about, are we really doing these different tasks in the educational setting as well? Maybe not sleep, but the others are valuable for the brain. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in pre-K, even sleep as well. It's true. We do give a moment to say, hey, let's have our bodies rest. That is true. I want to just thank you for coming out today and sharing so much of this interesting data and research and thinking with us. And I'm wondering if there's anything else you want to touch base on before we leave the topic. Sure. I think it's important just to acknowledge the polyvagal theory, which has become popular. It was coined a term coined by Stephen Porges. And it's basically letting us know about our nervous system that there are three parts. The ventral vagal, which is the parasympathetic nervous system. It's our default mode. And that's what allows us to stay in connection with others and co-regulate. The sympathetic part of our nervous system, it's the hyperarousal, the fight, flight, freeze. But there's another part to that that's really interesting, and it's appease. It's part of the social engagement system. And that kind of relates to what I was talking about with attachment theory. And then the dorsal vagal parasympathetic is when we, we our hypoarousal overrides the sympathetic, and that's when we kind of feign into just checking out, freezing. Mm. And, mm-hmm. and it's really the more you learn about the nervous system and can tune into those right brain clues, the more you can see the state of another person and really be able to meet their needs from there. Yeah, so it offers you, I'm guessing, the chance as an educator to look around the room at what's happening with the child from those cues and then use that knowledge to aid you and what choices you're making and where you're going from any given moment. That's exactly right. It really helps to get that regulation back up. Do they need to stamp their feet and jump up and down because they're more in their dorsal vagal? Mm-hmm. Or do they need to take some calming breaths and you know have their skin lightly brushed because they're in their sympathetic arousal? Do they just need social engagement and co-regulation? Yeah, so interesting. I love it. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming today to share with us. Absolutely. And- my pleasure. And tune in next week for another interesting and educational podcast here at Best Practices in Education. This has been Best Practices in Education, an Odyssey School podcast. It was recorded here in our music studio in Asheville, North Carolina at Odyssey School, engineered by our music director, River Gargarian. 
and the original theme music was created by the Misfits of Cragberry, an Odyssey student band. Let's fly away in a cloud.